Thank you so much for joining our Gen Church Wa podcast. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. It's 2022. We have so many exciting events, gatherings, and opportunities for you around Generations Church. If you'd like to learn more about these opportunities, these events, these gatherings, head over to mygenerations.church to check them out. So what does it mean to be spiritual? How does followership of Jesus look in an era of postmodernism and deconstruction? We're getting back into our series on 1 Corinthians called Masterclass, where the Apostle Paul will help us navigate our cultural moment. Let's respond to the scripture and spirit together. What I want to do is I want to transition us to our Masterclass series. We've been in this series uh, looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. And so I'm just going to take a moment. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verses 26 through 40, and we'll continue on with our gathering. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40 says this, What then is the conclusion, brothers? Whenever you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, another language, or an interpretation. All things must be done for edification. If any person speaks in another language, there should be only two, or at most three, each in turn, and someone must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person should keep silent in the church and speak himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if someone has been revealed to another person is sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophets and the spirits are under control of the other prophets since God is not a God of disorder, but one of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church meeting. Did a word of God originate from you, or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize what I write to you. This is the Lord's command, but if anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in other languages or tongues, but everything must be done and decently in order. Let me pray. God, you are here. We're celebrating the baptism of Avery, God, we are rejoicing for how you are at work. God, we want to partner with you and be on your mission and about your business, God. So I'm just so thankful that we get to send the Abair family. We will miss them, but I'm grateful for their time and their presence here. God, this morning, I just ask that the words that come out of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, that everyone and myself hear what we need to hear that what is said is your words and not my own. May the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. Guide us, direct us, speak to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Man, there was some difficult stuff 
in that passage. So we should probably say, buckle up. Uh, here, here we go. But one, one of the things that I like to talk about for us as a church is that there are all these kinds of phrases and things that are often said in our world today. And we get used to hearing them, and sometimes we even repeat or parrot them. And we say them in such a way that it almost seems normal and natural. And it's like, well, of course it's that way, or of course these are the types of things that should be said. One of them is, I don't need the church to be a Christian. To statements like this, I often respond in conversation, what's your definition of church? How do you define church? Because for often, or for many people, what their version or view of church is, is a building with a steeple, with pews, with a preacher, maybe in some garb, and it's like, that is church, and I go to a place for church. Well, we often call the buildings where the church gathers the church building. That is not the church. And so welcome back to master class where we have reached the conclusion of Paul's section on the gathering and gifting of the church. And so far, I hope I've made the case that the essential nature of the gathering of believers and given you tools to respond to such comments like, I don't need the church to be a Christian, or I can just be spiritual and be good. I don't need to have connection and community with others. I can do my own thing. And as we conclude, it's important to remember what Paul has said to this point. The gathering of the church is where the activation of the gifts and the gifts of the Spirit see the most fulfillment. And even as we look at some of these difficult points today, we need to remember the larger context. See, Paul's letter to the Corinthians began with a critique about their view of what wisdom and knowledge was and is. And what was happening is that was leading for, to divisions and pride. People thought they were better than each other. And they were saying, no, I'm aligned with this preacher or I'm aligned with this pastor. And they were dividing over something that was not central around Jesus. And in other words of saying they wanted Jesus' branding without becoming like Jesus. Let me say that again. They wanted Jesus branding without actually becoming like Jesus. It shows when Paul moves into the discussion on sexuality and gender. What they do with their body, and even if you claim to have freedom in Christ, are not bound under the law, but by the Spirit. The main gas pedal for action, or even for a break, for withholding action, in light of this freedom, is love of others. Meaning you have to spend time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And do not let the pressures of the world create divisions where Christ creates oneness in the church. Therefore, when we gather and practice our gifts as a church, no matter how gifted, skilled, trained, or spiritual you are, love is the defining marker of being God's alternative within this city. See, as a collective the church's gifting and gathering is to support the people of the church, becoming more loving and more like Christ. Loving God more, 
more deeply, more fully, understanding their attachment to Him, understanding their rootedness and oneness in Him, and then also becoming more loving and showing God's love to others. That is the purpose of the church. And the reality is that God chooses to work through people by the Spirit to become what they in fact are. You are loved. You are His children. And the challenge is for us to help that reality, that heavenly reality, catch up with everyday experiences. So where we live, work, and play, where you go, where you find yourself, whether right now in this moment or many weeks from now, to live loved, And respond accordingly. So that when you encounter different circumstances or situations. Or even different comments that are unbiblical. Or try to sabotage your childness in Christ. That you are able to hear that and respond in a way that says no that is untrue. I should, Or you respond in such a way that realigns and helps you become more reattached with God. So that you can love and live well. And what Paul has been doing is he's been building to this final concrete instructions for how the Corinthians should structure their gatherings. Because when we gather, if we are truly learning to love God and love others well, then when people step into this type of experience, or maybe they show up together as Christians on a Tuesday night, or they meet together with breakfast on a Thursday morning as fellow believers, people who are learning to follow Jesus in every aspect of their life, and we have conversation, that the types of conversation, the giftedness, the response helps them love God and love others well. And the gifts that are present there come out. And they're done in such a way that we help each other. So that when we structure things when we come together, when people cue in and look at when we gather, they see God's alternative to this city for the city. See, when we gather this morning, when you gather on a Tuesday night or you gather on a Thursday morning, the purpose of your gathering, the purpose of our gathering is not solely unto or for ourselves. It is so that we can be so transformed by the love of God through the words of brothers and sisters, through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit working in us, that we are so transformed that when people encounter us on a daily basis, they go, God is in your life and in your midst. And they respond and see and encounter the living God. And so oftentimes, though, when we step into our gatherings, we import our experiences from other gatherings into our own. And we think, oh, what happens there should automatically happen here. And that's what's happened to the Corinthians. They have other gathering experience. They have other religious experience. They have other social experience that has been imported into the church. And Paul's saying, no, The way of God should reframe what you do when you gather. And so the early churches, at least in the case of Corinth, would have gathered in courtyards and homes. You'd have groups or clusters of people all over. And when someone would want to stand up to address the whole, another would cut them off and start speaking and say, no, 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 I got a word, hold on. And someone else would go to share. And what happened is you have all these competing voices and it would be chaotic and maddening and near impossible to follow. And then no one would understand what's really happening and what's going on. And so when the instruction about becoming like Jesus is not clear, then the gathering and gifting of the church was not serving its divine 
purpose. So Paul begins, what shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you who may has a hymn? A word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so, so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue or two, at most three, they should speak one at a time and someone should interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. The list of gifts or ministries here, a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation, does not perfectly match any of the other lists that Paul has given to the point about the gifting of the church. And like all the former lists in these chapters, chapters 11 through 14, this, is the final, this final one is again ad hoc. It's intended neither to give order of service nor be exhaustive of what each one has to offer by way of ministry. But everything must be done so that the church may be built up. It's edification over gratification. It's what serves the collective and forming them and helping everyone become more like Christ rather than what is personally satisfying, what makes you personally feel good. And so building up over personal satisfaction. In fact, the point of this verse is not so much that everyone comes to worship gathering with their own contribution to make that it's understood, though it's in the background here, but that all those different contributions, what you bring to the table, must be exercised in such a way that the others, the church, are strengthened and helped by it. God's Spirit works through everyone in a unified way. And the love that shapes the work of His Spirit will compel each person to serve and seek the well-being of others. So when Ty speaks about playing his bass guitar... When we talk about singing overall, we talk about, you know, the family time dynamic that we have. We include all of those elements, not so that one person can be like, yes, I'm good and I'm the best. But we include all those different elements so that the gifting can serve the church so that maybe your soul can be strengthened. I so love what he said. He said, I tend to be an anxious person, but he was able to step out of his shell and, and perform and not just perform, but, but just play and contribute because it's not a performance, but it's contributing, it's worshiping, it's serving to someone else who may be anxious and go, I could never do that. Here's the words of his story and say, I might be able to do that because someone else risks themselves for the sake of the betterment of the church. And it should be noted that this is almost a direct affront to our modern sensibilities. How many people do you know or might even heard them say, well, I'm not being fed or I just don't like the vibe of the church, meaning that music isn't my preference or I like a church like that. It's this or like that. And our culture has affected our minds to such a degree that we think our role as Christians is to go into a church with an evaluation script and size it up and go, they check this box, they check this box, they check this box, and we evaluate the ministry of the church based on external measures rather than is everybody being pointed and directed to the love and the grace of Jesus, and that's what we should be about, and that's what our gifts should serve and point to. 
we allow church shopping to be filtered into our minds so that we evaluate and we determine, do these ministries serve my needs rather than bring our full selves to the table and say, maybe well, God has me here for this time, for such a moment of this, to actually help somebody else. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection came to you for the purpose of bettering someone else. He loves you, and his love in your life needs to be expressed and communicated to others. And when you can experience that and know that and be so rooted in that, that maybe you extend yourself, that you contribute in ways that maybe seem risky or maybe even you're uncomfortable with, that others who don't know the love and the security that the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus has, because there is a security, there is an approval, there is a, there's a lack. They don't need control. They don't, they don't need to be in control of every minute. But they're so rooted in Jesus that they are unswayed by the ever-changing tides of our worlds. And that when people look at that, and where does that come from? It's because we participate in a church that directs us to Jesus, that helps us be stand on the solid rock of Jesus so that we won't be tossed around and moved. And so that when other people go, how do I get that in my life? We can say the only reason we have that is because of Jesus, his love and his grace. We have that because of Jesus. That's why baptism is such an important step because what you're doing is you're submitting yourself to Jesus saying, I will not be swayed by the cultural tides of the world. I will not be swayed by pop cultural pseudo-spirituality statements. I am basing my life on the love that God has for me and proven in Jesus. And I'm entering into that love and desiring to live that love and while we know we don't live that perfectly we get to grow in that because we hear stories and testimony and words from other people in the church to remind us that you are in fact loved and though you don't live up to that standard now you actually have that standard and you should live and respond out of that you don't need to reattach yourself to Jesus you are already attached and out of that attachment you need to strengthen that attachment and we help each other do that so when Paul says do things in such an orderly way he's doing it not because there's a right checklist or there's a right set of ministry checklist to do that he's giving you that so that the way we operate, the way we communicate, the way we organize ourselves can be seen and understood that, hey, God is in their midst. And so how we think about the purpose of the church and its gathering is vitally important because we need each other. We need the church. You, you, there may be some moments where, where you've gone without gathering with fellow brothers and sisters and you feel in your soul, it's just kind of withering, it's disconnected. And then the anxiety comes back. Will they accept me? Can, can I step back in? And you go through all of these emotions, or at least I know when there's a season in life where, where I do that. It's like, will I be accepted? Will I be approved? How can I step back into that? And the beautiful thing is, is that if we live loved in the church and we bring all our gifts and our stories out in our gathering and in our conversations, no matter who walks through the door, whether it's on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday night or a Thursday morning, we will be able to look with them, be fully present with them and say, you are loved and I'm here listening to you. I'm looking into your eyes. I'm hearing your story. And what you share with me will be heard and will be full, not for me to solve all of your problems, but to allow the Spirit who is fully present in you 
who is fully present in them to do the work that only the Spirit can do. And we need that. Our world is so starved for a real spirituality. We chase it by watching videos and movies and superheroes. We long to be rescued, but the good news is we've already been rescued. We, we already have the presence and the power of Jesus available to us. And we need each other to remind each other to show up in real and tangible ways so your place in the church is not to say, what do I get out of this, but to bring your full self to it, to contribute. It's to contribute rather than consume, to step forward rather than sit back. And here's what's amazing. As the, when we contribute, when we extend ourselves, when we bring maybe what little gift we have, when we bring our story to the table, when we love, when we serve, when we are vulnerable, and others do the same, we will definitely receive. The way God works is that you will inevitably always receive. And oftentimes we forget that we were the first beneficiaries because of Jesus not the second. See, oftentimes the reason we think we need to get in a relationship, the reason we think we need to get out of the church is because we think we deserve. But the reality is we've been given the love and grace of Jesus undeservedly first. We first received and we live out of that reception. We live out of that first love that he has for us. So that way we don't have to go into a relationship and go, well, what am I going to get out of it? I don't go into church. We don't have to go in with that checklist because we know that if the Spirit of God is there and you bring your full self with the Spirit of God present in you, present there, with the Word of God being directed towards Jesus and understanding the love that the Father has for us, then we can't help but see God at work. Because see, when we receive, it's more than inspirational words like, keep it up. You're doing great. We want to believe that's true, but we're painfully aware of our own shortcomings. But through the presence of others who serve us, we experience and receive comfort and correction that actually form us into more loving people. And we become what we are, in fact, already are. So contributing in the church necessitates the move from Jesus branding or personal marketing, I'm a Christian light, to becoming more actually like Jesus in our relationships, where we live, work, and play. And how we contribute points God to others. And so Paul returns to the main issue. He says, you're misusing your gift, the gift of tongues. Because of the gathering is for others, it's for strengthening them, you should choose to exercise your gift, whether it's an angelic language or another language that's not present in the gathering, he said you should exercise it in private. The command is that the speaker to keep quiet when no interpreter is present. It represents the first appearance of a verb, which will appear again. He uses it again. It's like to stop, to remain silent, to withhold for others. In each case, particular people are asked to restrain themselves for a particular sort of speech in order to preserve the orderly and peaceful flow of the gathering. In this case, those who could speak in tongues should restrain themselves when they are not certain if it would be interpreted. God may be giving you a word that needs to be shared, but what you should be mindful of, is this gift just to make me feel good? Should this word be shared because it makes me look more spiritual and gives the attention? Or should I share this word because it actually points someone to be and helps someone become more like Jesus? 
In order to spare the rest of the congregation from alienating experience of uninterpreted tongues, Paul says you should withhold this, if it, the gift of tongues, if it cannot be interpreted. And as Paul continues, he returns to highlight prophecy, which they had downplayed at the expense of speaking in tongues. Prophecy is words by the Spirit, sometimes saying the words of God from the Bible and others confirmed by the Bible. While tongues are not to be forbidden, prophecy is essential. Paul stresses again the function and purpose of the gift of prophecy, that everyone must be instructed and encouraged. The reason Paul values intelligible speech gifts like prophecy is that they have the ability to strengthen the church through the members' ministry of others. That's why I'm kind of down on, like, just keep it going. You know, keep it up. Why? Because, because we know it's like, yeah, I, I already kind of know I should be doing that. Or we hear enough of those social media-like type posts. that Yeah, we want those inspirational words, but we know when the going gets tough, they really don't help us get going. But what helps us get going is actually the presence of another who says, I hear you, I see you, you're not alone. And maybe I've even been through this experience and I'm going to help you through this next experience with Jesus together. It's that tangible relationship. So that's what true love and bringing out the words of God by the Spirit in that moment really do. And that's, that's why Paul highlights prophecy. See, at Generations, we at regular intervals encourage speaking to the whole church. And we also encourage speaking to one another, shaped by scriptures such as this. We believe there's an appropriate time to share with us as a collective. Maybe you share with others. Maybe God may prompt you to respond and you should go to a brother and sister and encourage them. But we always must be able to check ourselves. Is this to make me feel good like I'm the rescuer or the words that I bring point to the rescuer? That's why we have a response time. That's why we've included more testimony and family time is because what we want to encourage, what we want people to know and experience is not the words that we might have for them, but the words that God might have for us as a community. And so the use of spiritual gifts requires the engagement of the mind and our spirit of the gifted individual and their ability to restrain, channel, and control their gift in a way that reflects their own progress in developing Christ-centered attitudes and priorities and prioritizing what which will be the most benefit for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Spiritual actions that can be wholly attributed to an external spiritual power would say little about and contribute little to the spiritual growth of the practitioner. No one is to use prophetic inspiration as an excuse for continuing in contradiction to Paul's instructions. He is very strong about saying, this is why you should listen to me. And he uses his apostolic authority to say, you should think about the way you gather in your gifting in such a way that the way in which you organize really does point people to Jesus. And if you are unsure, then exercise restraint. I hope you're hearing a theme. Love of others, building up the church. Exercise restraint. Naturally, when it comes to verses 34 and 35, we tend to want to pluck them out of the overall discussion. And Paul is providing solutions for the people of Corinth to be God's alternative in Corinth. Paul has already mentioned in two contexts in which certain people should remain silent in the church. Those who just speak in tongues when there's no interpreter and those who go on prophesying when it's not someone else has signaled that they were ready to speak. Now he adds a third situation where his people should remain silent. 
He's saying in this situation, certain women should remain silent in the churches. If they were to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. And as I say that, some of you would be like, interesting. I come from a church where that's said. I've come from a church or background where that's been weaponized. What's going on here? And if if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, you might even go, hold on, Paul, I'm confused. Um, Because earlier on, you said that women should remain silent, or that, that they shouldn't, that they should be able to speak, preach, and prophesy, and exercise their gifting. They should be able to pray and prophesy and worship as long as they maintain proper decorum as a way to not do away with gender distinctions. So it seems like there's a contrast or a conflict here. But it's the inclusion of this verse is that the women ask their own husbands at home reflects kind of this cultural context where a man might be more ex- be expected to be more informed, educated than his wife and was understood as the proper channel for information. So that, again, the issue is being formed into Christ's likeness. And the picture is a change from chaos to order. What Paul is saying here in this moment is like, it's like you shouldn't be asking a bunch of questions, like causing disorder and chaos. You shouldn't be like, kind of like, hey, what about this? What about this? I'm confused. How does this apply? And it basically people, leads to people talking to each other. The Corinthians were already having challenges making the gatherings about themselves rather than about others. So rather than interruption or inducing more confusion, there are questions here. There, if there are questions, here's a way, as Paul is saying, that they can be answered and they should be answered. Your questions are valuable. They're good, they're necessary, but there's a time and a place to ask them. And overall, respect and order should be practiced. And so this is a way to reduce this type of confusion because their gatherings were madness. There was no order, it was chaos. And so he practically calls for a woman who has questions to exercise restraint. But here's what needs to be heard is, here's a clear example in which Paul's corrective is for the Corinthian church, not for all women, all time. Paul's operative principle for gathering formally as the church is constant. Whatever hinders the movement of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in return causes confusion rather than growth, offends rather than encourages, or strengthens or builds up the self at the expense of others is contrary to God's intention. So no matter what you say, what you share, how these things come out, if you are doing things in such a way that it undermines the clarity and the picture of who Jesus is and what he is about and his mission of love within the world and rescuing people from their sin and rescuing them for purpose and helping them understand the attachment, the love that they have in connection to God, anything that distracts or discourages or hinders or doesn't strengthen people in that way should be considered and should likely be stopped. Therefore, we can take the principle to disseminate information in an understandable way that's not distracting to the whole and come up with a solution. This is why we at Generation Church, we use something called a gen card. You notice even during this time, you might be going, Kyle, I've got a question about that. That's real interesting. We're, we're, our gathering time is not necessarily one where dialogue where we're going back and forth. But we provide those gen cards on the rows, on the chairs. Because if you have a question, you can get an answer. If you've got a concern, we can address it. We can have that conversation. So it's not just a one-way exchange, but it's a way that we can facilitate conversation. That you can ask your questions specifically to those of us who share. The goal of the gathering is to become what you are. And so today, some people think the purpose of the gathering 
is to have intense spiritual experiences and to speak their mind. And Paul says, I'm a big fan of powerful prayer experiences, but if it distracts others or freaks them out, then I should stop it because I'm loving myself more than I'm loving people. Therefore, the gathering should be orderly. The spirit of passion is also the spirit of order. And Paul's instructions in this chapter have been about intentionally to guide the Corinthians to a more orderly and fitting approach to use the spiritual gifts in worship so as to better reflect the glory of God. It is God's glory which is to be our preoccupation in our gathering so that he can be honored only when we maintain an atmosphere that does not distract people from his glory, meaning we don't say things that are contrary to the ways of God. We don't, we don't attempt to do things in such a way that undermine give over, get, or undermine like some of our values, story over sin. We try to highlight and enhance that because of how God is at work in our church. But some Corinthians had manifested attitudes and behaviors which had drawn attention to themselves rather than to God. And it reflected a greater concern for self-edification rather than the building up of others. What happens is if we gather well, if we have such an order that prompts your growth and a response to the Spirit, when we gather, it will bleed into the other days of the week. It'll help you respond and go, hey, someone mentioned a need or a prayer request. I'm going to show up and mow their lawn this week. Maybe I heard a need, I'm going to show up and I'm going to power wash their house. <laughs> or, but see, here's the reality. is You don't get stories like that when you stay in isolation. You don't get stories of people showing up in power with the power of the Spirit, hearing something and go, I have a gift, I have, a, I have the ability to meet that if you stay in isolation. And so as we think about the gathering of the church, the question that I want to leave you with is who are you including in your life right now? Chances are there's some trauma, there's some pain, Maybe you've even built up some walls. I'm not saying you've got to let everybody and their brother in, but I'm saying could you consider letting one or two in? Who are you including in your life? If you've got a, a gin card or uh, just your teaching time notes, I'd encourage you to draw six circles, three on the top, two in the middle, and one on the bottom. kind of looks like an inverted triangle. Maybe even like a stack of grapes. And I would encourage you to write names of people who you could include. And if you don't know someone by name who you're including in the three areas that I'm going to give you, write a question mark and ask God to give you that person. So in that top line, the three circles, who are three new Christians or non-Christians in your life that you can begin including? Who are, in the next row, two circles, who are two kind of peers in Christ that you can open up to? Who you know you can share your struggles, your fears, your frustrations with? Someone who, who can encourage you, who can give you God's words, not just their perspective. And then on that last one, that, that bottom one, who's an older person in the faith? Maybe, maybe they're actually younger than you, but they're older than you in the faith who you can ask for wisdom and guidance to speak into your life. 
to help you be formed more like Christ. As you think about that, the potential for six names there, and here's what's amazing, is if each of us have some of those names, we'll produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life. It'll help us become more loving, more joyful, more patient. Why? Because we're in relationship with people that will both challenge us, encourage us, and also strengthen us. So who are you including? The band's going to come up, and we're going to in time of response. And maybe you think about those names during this response time. Maybe some of those people are in your room, or in this room right now. My encouragement would be, go to them. Thank them. Pray with them. Maybe you've never asked someone to, to mentor you or to counsel you. This is a great opportunity as we sing and as, as we respond to ask for that. See, my hope is that as you speak about generations, that as you speak about our community, that as we speak about the powerful experiences of God at work, of prayer and prophecy, that we can speak about that in such a way that people go, man, I want some of that in my life. But not just of the powerful experiences. I want you to be able to speak about the relationships. That the dots are connected to help you grow and that you are helping others grow. That you're inviting people to contribute to your life and you're contributing to their life rather than simply consuming. Because that is the beautiful work of God. That he has first loved us and he has extended himself for us. May we do the same.